Yeah. You know what? Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. A little bit later this hour, we're going to get a visit from Kevin McGeehan of Campbell. Why the Camels when they're only in the NIT? Well, Chris Clemens is coming down the stretch on a four-year career that has left him behind only Pistol Pete Maravich and at least for now two others in the history of Division I men's basketball in the scoring department. It's Campbell at UNC Greensboro right here in our backyard in NIT action. Of course, the big bracket is underway today and tomorrow in the form of the first four. And with that in mind, we bring in our next guest. You know him as a Hall of Fame college basketball writer for the Sporting News and SportingNews.com. One year ago, Mike DeCourcy correctly told us, even before you had to hand in your office bracket, he correctly said, hey, it's going to be Villanova against Michigan in the national title game and the Wildcats are going to win. You want to talk about Nostradamus-style efficiency, he has reminded us that past results are not the guarantee of future success, but we welcome him back in that spirit anyway. Mike, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Congratulations on that and other brilliance. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, David. It's How are great. you? I'm doing great. It's great to have you back. Well, if you had to boil it down to one thing, what's the best piece of bracket advice you've ever given or received as so many mega millions of Americans are about to hand theirs in? Get the champion right. Yeah. I, I think if you, if, if you start there, a lot of the rest falls into place. You're going to win a lot of games with that, with that team going forward. But if, you, if you're going to pick an upset – you better be real sure that that, team, that that team's not lasting. Like, if you're saying you're taking out the five, it's got to be a really broken team that isn't capable of not only winning your game but also one or two more. That's when you really get in trouble. On Twitter, I saw one of your comments on the Big Ten Network's coverage of Selection Sunday, and it just cracked me up. Uh, among other things, you said, hey, this is an athletic competition, not a geography B." What was the bee in your bonnet on Selection Sunday that led to that comment? You know, David, I, I, a lot of media people, I'm, I, in doing the math on this, I think around 400, 500 people would have had the opportunity to do the mock brackets while they were doing these because they did them for about 10 years, and, and they used to have twice as many people in the mock as they did in a race. So it would be 20 people instead of 10, like everybody, every two people was one person. Um, and so a lot of people got to do that, and I was one of the first that did it a decade or so ago. And I remember when you go through all the voting procedures, how do you vote for teams to get in the field, how you vote to seed teams, that I really thought it was so well thought out and so, you know, so precise and so innovative, and it made so much sense. And, and it's like, wow, this is you're like seeing you know, the, 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 all the secrets. And then we got the bracketing, and I was like, wait a second here. When did we step into the fun house? Like, where did you guys get this idea? Because what happens after you get all the teams and you were so meticulous about who you vote and who you seed, then you, you start with the first team, Duke, okay, and they punch the name Duke in, and then this calculator kicks out how far it is to each of the four regions. So from Duke, I don't know, let's say it's 150 miles to D.C., it's uh, – you know, 300 miles to Louisville, it's 800 miles to Kansas City, and it's 2,500 to Anaheim, say. Um, and when they did this with Michigan State on Sunday night, after they got through the first five and then 
the fifth being Tennessee, the first first number two seed gets to go to Knoxville, or excuse me, gets to go from Knoxville to Louisville, three four hour drive, whatever it is. Okay, it all makes sense. And then they put Michigan State up there, and it kicks out. D.C. is 590 miles. Kansas City is 710. <laughs> now, a rational thinking person like yourself, David, would have said, well, Michigan State is, A, really a Midwestern school because we haven't moved Michigan. <laughs> been where it's been for a long time. And, B, 120 miles isn't changing anybody's life. No. It, does make, it makes no difference. So put them where they belong, and, and you get the added bonus of an actual 3-6 matchup, which is what you know a straight S-curve would tell you. So every single peer, point of logic pointed Michigan State to Kansas City, and they stuck them in D.C. against the number one overall seed after they beat Michigan three times in a year, and they sent Michigan out west to play their weakest, in their opinion, weakest number one seed, Gonzaga. So the reward for beating Michigan three times in a year and winning two championships in the process was to get the most difficult team in the nation in their Elite Eight draw. That is the most preposterous application of bracketing. They've done worse things in selection and seeding, but this is the most preposterous, the most ludicrous, the most indefensible thing they've ever done because there is no logical point for them to stand on. And for those who's, who, who aren't quite to the level of bracketology that Mike DeCourcy is, our guest here on the David Glenn Show, remember the selection committee came to the consensus that Michigan State's resume was better than Michigan's. But we all know if Tom Izzo got to choose, you know, would you rather be in Gonzaga's bracket or Duke's bracket, he would rather Gonzaga's, but because of geography, he will end up in Duke's bracket out east instead. That is the essence of the madness as we look forward to March Madness starting tonight with the first four games. Mike DeCourcy is on Twitter at TSN Mike. The higher number two seed Michigan State gets the more difficult matchup. The lesser number two seed Michigan gets the more desirable potential one-two matchup against the Zags. All right, with Zion back, Duke is the number one overall seed. Uh, the Devils are the Vegas favorite, and according to your public picks that you released earlier, SportingNews.com, for those who want to see the entire bracket of Mike DeCourcy, uh, the Devils are also your pick. Did the ACC tournament convince you of this, or was it broader than that? Well, I think I was convinced already, but I needed to be reconvinced because uh, you, uh, you, you, he was absent for six games. That's not an insignificant number, and they did not play well in those six games, uh, winning only half. And so his return and their high-level performance uh, suggested to me that they were the best team, and, and I liked where they are in the draw, and and I and I really have my questions about whether or not anybody can find the right thing to do to stop Zion. Uh, but it, it, they're you know they're clearly not impenetrable because they were down 23 against Louisville and Carolina had him on a one-point game at full strength, and Gonzaga beat him head-to-head on a neutral floor. So it, it, there, there are teams out there that can beat them. I don't think that they are as – I don't think that they're as – I don't feel as sure about them winning it as I did Villanova a year ago. 
and some of that was Villanova relative to to the standard of excellence, and some of it was Villanova relative to who was, else was out there chasing them. I think there are more good teams chasing this year than was chasing Villanova a year ago, and better teams. So they're going to have to prevail over a better field, but it still felt the best to pick them. There are warts on every resume, and you know the Blue Devils include really poor three-point shooting. You know, nobody who shoots as poorly as they do has ever won the NCAA tournament. Inconsistent free-throw shooting and an inconsistent supporting cast. Is, is it just, you know, Mike Krzyzewski plus Zion Williamson plus R.J. Barrett plus Trey Jones' defense is, is enough to make up for those uh, weaker links in the chain? Or is it a bigger picture than that that makes you stick with the Devils? Yeah, I think that it starts with the fact that they have a player who that no one, no one has really found an answer for. Um, I, like, show me his bad game. I mean, right. I, I can show you some games where he didn't produce as much, but most of the time that's because the team didn't need him to do, to do more. I, I, he, doesn't, he hasn't had bad games. So no one's really found a, a real answer for him. And, you know, I, I think that you look at it and you say to yourself, what can you do to stop him? And how much do you have to do to you, what you ordinarily do that makes you great? to get that done and does it take you away from what makes you great and therefore you're not great anymore if you know if you're a team that is you know that likes to give space and and chase and all that sort of thing you're opening up the court for him it, but if you don't it, so if you do that then you're opening up the court for him but if you don't do that then you're not you and then how can you be great I, and a lot of teams are not willing to take that chance they're not willing to change dramatically because they feel like if they do, one, it's, it's a sign of weakness to their players. Their players start to think, oh, my gosh, we never change. We never – I mean, we might adjust, but we never change. And we're doing it for this guy. He must be unbelievable. So coaches aren't willing to do it. The, where you get that is in the earlier rounds because they, they know they're not winning the championship. They want to win this game. Now, obviously, that's not going to happen in 116 more, more – you know, 99, 999 times out of 1,000, that's not going to happen in that game. Right. But, you know, I mean, it could happen like um, it, UCF doesn't even have to change. If they win against VCU, you're in a game against a team that's nothing like anything you will ever play. So maybe, you know, maybe uh, UCF gets hot from the perimeter like they did against Houston, and then you've got to deal with Taco Fall, who is seven foot six and not, not – like a lot of – we haven't had many seven six guys, but a lot of them are thin, easy to move. Yeah. And he is a mountain. I mean, he is, he is really strong. And he doesn't, he, you know, because of his size, he's not able to play, you know, starters minutes. He's not, he doesn't go 32 minutes. But when he's out on the floor, he changes the game. And you have to figure out a way to deal with it. And if you don't shoot the ball well and say to yourself, well, I'm just not going in there uh, and just sit out and make threes, you got, you know, you you might have some problems. So that could be a game that could catch them. Uh, uh, VCU, I don't know that that would be as bothersome to them because they get out and and go and get after you. And I think that, I think Duke would hold up to the pressure, and probably turn that into a pretty comfortable game for themselves. 
Mike DeCorsi is joining us. Find his entire bracket at SportingNews.com. He ended up going with a little teaser, two number two seeds and two number one seeds, and he did pick the Duke Blue Devils to win it all. When you, I'll put it this way, which of the other three you had in your final four did you feel most confident about and why? Getting there? Yeah, yeah, getting there was Virginia because, like, Virginia's bracket is like – it was it was almost as if it was drawn up in a in a hotel room in Charlottesville instead of a hotel you know hotel. I mean it, it's like okay let's make sure the Cav- the Cavs don't have to deal with any lottery picks and no teams that are good and really push the pace and it, you know, like everything that that might force them to sort of alter uh, what they do they don't have to deal with that. Uh, they just can go out and be themselves and they're never going to run into a team that has better players than they have. Uh, there are teams like Maryland. They played Maryland early in the year. They had some trouble with them. Maryland, you know, one to seven probably has more NBA talent than Virginia does, but they're not going to run into them. Uh, that, those kinds of teams were kept away from them. They've got, you know, they've got the Purdue's, which probably doesn't have any NBA players. Uh, they've got the teams like that. Uh, they're number two, uh, Tennessee, which is. An unbelievably overachieving team that has not a single top 125 player in their rotation. They got a lot of that in their region. So I think Virginia is in tremendous shape to get through Louisville and make it to Minneapolis. Mike DeCorsi joining us on the David Glenn Show. Find his work at SportingNews.com. Follow him on Twitter, at TSN Mike. All right, to help your good friends across the great state of North Carolina win their brackets, just give us some uh, lower seeds that you expect to maybe get to the Sweet 16 or beyond. I don't know. I think the lowest seed on my bracket that I had going to the Sweet 16, if I remember correctly, was Maryland. And I don't have a lot of confidence in that because okay. I don't like the way Maryland has played lately. But I didn't. Yeah, I like the fact that if they're going to, if they get through their 6-11 matchup and go to the three, they're playing among the most broken three seeds of all time. The LSU walking in with an interim head coach who just started that position. What are we now? Ten days ago. So that's, you know, that's something that I want a piece of if I'm, you know, if I'm Maryland, you know, I want that because I, I can go in and, and, and LSU's really talented, but their, their head coach, although he's been a head coach in the past, uh, has only been in charge of that group for 10 days. Around here, as you know, as Duke and Carolina are number one seeds, NC State just missed it or was among the handful that just missed it. On Selection Sunday, did you think the Wolfpack had a better argument than anybody who made it? Just a different argument. Um, You know, I thought that, you know, as long as you weren't saying that they belonged out because their non-conference schedule strength was 352 or whatever, as long as you didn't say that, I'm, I'm not going to stand in the way and say they belonged. They lost to Georgia Tech and Wake Forest. Um, how, do you, how do you not beat Carolina, Duke, et cetera, and then lose those games and say we're a tournament team? I mean, you've got you to make up for that somewhere. And, it, the, you know, those, those, uh, the, the counter argument that they could have made for themselves, they didn't make. Uh, that that was you know they they had opportunities and like no one's saying you should beat Duke or beat Carolina and you're not a tournament team, but if you lose those lower level games, you got to atone. That's kind of how it has always worked. 
and they didn't win. The, they didn't, you know, they didn't beat Georgia Tech and Wake. And you can say, hey, it's tough league on the road, all that stuff. But if you're not going to beat the high end teams when they're in your gym, then you got to beat the low end teams wherever you encounter them. When you saw that UNC Greensboro was described by the committee as the last team cut. In other words, if there had been one less upset in one of those bid thief situations, the Spartans would have been in at 28 and 6, but without, I think, a victory over anyone who actually made the tournament. Yeah. Is that, I mean, around here, of course, it's easy to root for the Spartans in West Miller. They're just a fun story. Yeah. But was that startling to you? Because, I mean, many of us root for respect for mid majors, but in that 28 and 6 resume, I think the best win was, you know, like against Furman, which also didn't make the field. Yeah. My feeling about UNCG, there was a lot of push for them, was that. At some point, you know, and I respect the heck out of them, and, but, you know, they had Wofford on their floor, just sort of like in the same thing as yeah. Duke. Um, Wofford was terrific. Uh, they, were, they had an unbelievable year. We named Mike Young our National Coach of the Year. Yep. So I get that's not easy to do, but they're in your gym and you get run. I mean, 30, like 29 points. So my feeling about it was you had three cracks at that and one of them in your gym and you didn't get it done. And so I didn't feel like that they were, they were a team that had necessarily outperformed a team like an NC State or like, say, Indiana, which, although it lost a ton of games, they beat Michigan State twice. They beat Wisconsin. They had six quad one wins. I'm not sure, I'm not sure how many they wound up with against the field, but it was – I mean, they had, they had Marquette, um, Louisville. So I think they had at least six against the field. Uh, you know, there are teams on the five line that have, you know, or in, the, in that neighborhood, that have about the same number of field wins as Indiana had. So, I, you know, I, 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 would, I would tend toward those teams. Now, you know, I wrote a column a week ago that got all the mid-major boosters crazy uh, because I said that the, the idea was the, the mid-major does not deserve a break. It does not – the good mid-major does not deserve a break. They deserve what they earn. And I don't feel that if you are in a position where you're finishing second in your mid-major league or you're winning your mid-major league at 14-4 and four and you don't have any high-level outside league wins, to me that doesn't necessarily belong. You, you've got to excel. You've got to show some excellence. And, you know, Indiana showed excellence – in, the, in those games against the high-level teams. At least they did on those occasions. And, you know, Murray State a couple of years ago went from Thanksgiving to the final of their conference tournament and lost on a buzzer beater. That's a team that showed excellence. They belonged in the field. They didn't get picked. That bothered me. But a team that finished without any high-level wins outside or inside their league had an unbelievable season. Don't get me wrong. They were great. But I don't necessarily think that they were if that their exclusion, whether it was as the 69th team or the 75th team, was necessarily a you know a miscarriage of justice. His name is Mike DeCourcy. Last year, he had Villanova beating Michigan before the ball was thrown up for the first time, and that's what it ended up being. Wildcats over Wolverines. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, says Mike DeCourcy. Thanks for dropping by the David Glenn Show, man. Enjoy March Madness. Keep up the good work. Here's what's going to happen. <laughs> Three years from now, you're going to be saying, 
in 2018, he had Villanova beating Michigan. That's what's going to – I'll be introducing you that way for the next 10 – Because that's probably not going to happen a lot. For the next 10 years, that is part of the course's <laughs> introduction. Thanks, man. Always good to hear Thanks, your voice. Dave. You got it. Uh, he has, by the way, Duke beating Kentucky in this year's NCAA title game, in case you wanted to consider that for your own office bracket.